No, I've said it billions of times before. That has absolutely nothing to do with where I'm going to go today. But, well, not absolutely nothing to do. In the early scenes, first back in Spielberg's and Crichton, the genius of Jurassic Park, in the early scenes of first few, the first few minutes of John Hammond's appearance on screen, John Hammond says all the time, money's no matter. Money was no problem, made no matter at all. So, I think ACDC kind of fits perfectly. Plus, it's ACDC. I mean, I love ACDC. Plus, Brian Johnson's vocals and everything else. Just so awesome. But you know what I wondered a lot about it? And I've done a lot of episodes on Jurassic Park itself. Because like I've repeatedly said, Jurassic Park is my Star Wars. My Star Trek. It's my fandom. I love it so much. And I know way too much about Velociraptors and Mosasaurs. And I like to focus on different dinosaurs as I'm going through and as I talk about them. But I wanted to do something on some secrets. Crazy little things that you might not have known about the saga. About Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. And if you ask me... You can keep that going for a long time. I don't mind that at all. I love those movies. And it's just really, really cool. So I wanted to touch on and get as much into as I possibly can. Little secrets. Things that you might not know about it. And a lot of things that I do know. Speaking of secrets and things that you might not know. A lot of the things that I do know. And things that I, people would assume might be true from what the movies presented isn't actually true i know i said before in previous episodes the the t-rex's vision is not motion based so if you stood still like alan grant says in jurassic park to tim and lex he says stay still or freeze and stay still his his vision is based on movement if you don't move he can't see you well that's not true the vision is not based on movement. T-Rex's vision is not based on movement. If you don't move, you're still dead. He can st- he can still see you. He or she can still see you. Now, everything, a lot of the things about the T-Rex, a lot of things about the T-Rex and other dinosaurs are pretty accurate. The Velociraptors are not accurate at all. There were, like I said before in previous episodes, there were Velociraptors, but... They were a little bigger, not much, about the size of a chicken. And a human, to an actual prehistoric velociraptor, a human to a chick would to the prehistoric velociraptor would be like a T-Rex. Humans would be much more, much larger, much, 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 much bigger. And an average velociraptor on its own wouldn't stand a chance against a human. That's why a lot of the stories that they got in Jurassic Park were actually accurate. Raptors were pack hunters, and that's why they hunted in packs. Because they knew one of them is not going to take down Diddly Squat, because they're so small. But a number of them could really be a problem for something. And they were vicious. A lot of it is true. 
a lot of things about the raptors were true. They are they were vicious animals. But they were quite small. So the raptors that you see in the Jurassic Park saga were actually based on a dinosaur I mentioned uh, several episodes ago called the Deinonychus. And the Deinonychus means terrible claw or something along those lines. And they're actually more closely based on the Deinonychus. And the Deinonychus was actually like that size and much, much, and it's extremely threatening. So the, when they created the raptors for Jurassic Park, they liked the name Velociraptor. That's no. If you ask me, it's it's the least scientific name of any dinosaur that's ever been created, because it's not Latin. If you think about it, like if you break it down, velosa, velocity, is part of the word velocity, which means speed, which was true, and raptor means bird of prey. Raptors exist today all over the place. They're quite common. Our example of a raptor is uh, bald eagle or eagles. They're raptors. Um, hawks are raptors. Owls are raptors. They exist. Raptors exist all over the place. And the reason why velociraptors were called raptors is because they had feathers. They had feathers on their heads and on their limbs. And they kind of re resembled like a cross between... And this is probably the wrong term to use, but they kind of resemble a cross between a reptilian bird. It's kind of like, it's hard to say, but other than to say it like that. But I w I'm going to touch on, I'm going to get into the secrets. Things that, I know I said this is the beginning and I, meant, I mean to get into this and delve into it as best as I can. So sorry for dragging out as long as I have. But it's very interesting. So when Spielberg first opened those the gates to Jurassic Park back in 93 and John Williams' iconic score played, no one knew what a phenomenon Jurassic Park would become. I'm going to thank Screen Rant and other sources that I've gone to for this research and my notes, of course. Lost my place. Spawning a franchise of six movies, comic books, arcade games, even with its, even it, even its its own spawning spawn. Sometimes you get tongue tied and you just kind of gotta roll with it. Even spawning a franchise of spawned the franchise of six movies spawned, even its own topless Jeff Goldblum Funko toy, life a uh, sure. Found a way. Something about Crichton's 1990 sci-fi novel came to life when Spielberg took Jurassic Park to the silver screens. Still one of the highest grossing movies of all time, and it should be the most, Jurassic Park was so successful it even prompted Crichton to write his first ever sequel novel. Just so entitled The Lost World, Jurassic Park could be made. Now the inconsistency that kind of threw me off a little bit about about the Lost World is the movie, the book, it's Crichton's book, The Lost World, was more of a sequel to the first movie, Jurassic Park, than it was of a sequel to the book. Crichton wrote Jurassic should have read The Lost World as a sequel to the first book, 
but it kind of came off as more of a sequel to the movie. The, a written sequel, a book sequel to a movie. And it was kind of weird. And I just, I didn't, I mean, I love the movies, but I didn't like that. It, was, it kind of was weird in the consistency. And admittedly, the franchise has had some highs and lows. But, but Universal took a bite out of the box office once again with Jurassic, Jurassic World's self soft reboot in 2015. These days, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard have taken over the taken over from the likes of Sam Neill and Laura Dern to lead the series into greatness. With Jurassic Park, with Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom, including the, it wasn't Jurassic Park, it was Jurassic World, including a cameo from Dr. Ian Malcolm himself. Audience should even see the latest era of a, as a more of an evolution. This was this was this Screen Rant article was written before Fallen Kingdom came out, so bear that in mind. With some 25 years of Jurassic history to go over, it is unsurprisingly that there are more than a few behind-the-scenes secrets that even the biggest fans don't know. Ian Malcolm's cameo came kind of in the form of a book called God Creates Dinosaurs. While Fallen Kingdom may herald Jeff Goldblum's return to the franchise for the first time in 18 years, that isn't to say that the chaos theorist's impressive reputation hasn't lived on. Giving a much-needed breath of fresh air after Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World has an action-packed roller coaster that redeemed the ailing series. Ailing? Yeah, I disagree. I guess you could say ailing in the sense that it hadn't had a movie or it hadn't had a, a part of the saga out in a while. So I guess you could call that ailing. I wouldn't, but I guess I guess you could call it that. It may not have been perfect, but Jurassic World was a vast improvement and got back to what made the first movie such a genre-defining adventure. However, some think that one piece of key DNA was missing from Jurassic World. Ian Malcolm. Although Jeff Goldblum actually gets, gets to return in the flesh for Fallen Kingdom, his handsome mug can be spotted on Trevor in Trevorrow's 2015 movie, Colin Trevorrow. Again, this is before Fallen Kingdom. The aptly named God Creates Dinosaurs, which is credited to Ian Malcolm, is also a reference to his stirring speech in the first movie. Proving a popular bestseller, Malcolm's book also pops up on the desk of Lowry Crothers in the control room, with Malcolm briefly mentioned in Alan Grant, mentioned by Alan Grant in Jurassic Park 3 as being preachy and high on himself. The inclusion of God Creates Dinosaurs means he has had a nod in every Jurassic movie. To say that Jurassic Park has aged well would be a huge understatement. I wholeheartedly agree. From its pioneering use of CGI to Spielberg's imaginative storytelling, the first movie is still a favorite of people all around the world. Among the best bits are the all-star cast of lovable rogues that brilliantly brought the script to life. 
Alongside Hollywood megastars Jeff Goldblum and Sam Jackson, the likes of Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and B.D. Wong have all had their career highs and boast impressive CVs to this day. Casting any movie is a tricky process. And, as with all these stories, Jurassic Park could have had a very different roster of talent. After flying the Falcon and cracking his whip as Indy, Spielberg favorite Harrison Ford was the first choice for Alan Grant, but turned it down. According to the Digital Spy, Robin Wright and Julianne Moore, pre-Lost World, were both considered for Ellie Sattler, but Sandra Bullock was tapped to play the part if Laura Dern had said no. Christina Ricci actually read for Lex Murphy before the part went to Ariana Richards, while Jim Carrey couldn't change, couldn't change casting director Janet, Janet Hirsch, Hirschenon's mind when it came to Goldblum as the mad mathematician. Financially, financially, finally, it could have been Jurassic. Oh, I get there. Get that? Uh, and I agree. Jurassic Park. If Sean Connery had landed John Hammond, apart from the fact that he wanted too much money off the studio, and was the kid in Jurassic Park that mocks the Raptors, and that Alan Grant uses the Raptor claw, which is which is a bit in the movie with this, the six foot turkey bit. Was Chris Pratt actually in a previous movie? Actually, was he that kid? And I would say, and a lot of people would say, heck no. But everyone loves a good fan theory. And the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, hasn't cornered the market to out their conspiracies. For those asking how a beer-swilling raptor lover like Owen Grady came to be in the first place like Jurassic World, some clever theorists suggest that it's all Alan Grant's fault. Going back to 1993's Jurassic Park, aficionados will remember the cocky kid who mocked the abilities of of a velociraptor. Cue Alan Grant. And his raptor claw. To explain to this chubby kid how a raptor would be no match, or how he would be a no match first for the, quote, six-foot turkey, to quote the kid. The character was played by a kid called Whit Hertford, who hasn't popped up in a Jurassic movie since. The Huffington Post asked Pratt what he thought of the well-thought-out theory that Volunteer Boy becomes Owen Grady, but the star said, It's sweet, though, and I love that kid. And I love the idea of that possibility. But I do officially say, Pratt says, as the bastion of Owen's backstory, but not the creator of the character, that's not true. But it'd be cooler if it was. And who knows, maybe Whit Hertford will pop up in Fallen Kingdom as an avid dinosaur fan and part of the dinosaur protection group. Sadly, Unlike the Peter Parker, sadly, unlike the Peter Parker is in Iron Man 2 theory, this one has been officially debunked.
After the success of Jurassic Park at the box office, Universal offered Michael Crichton a huge sum of money to write a second novel and make it available for a sequel movie. However, having never written a sequel before, Crichton begrudgingly accepted. However, when Spielberg announced to direct, he decided to move forward, using only a few snippets of Crichton's book and base his movie more on 1925's The Lost World. The finished product was an, was an amalgamation of that movie and, and both of Crichton's Jurassic novels. The scene of the little girl being attacked by a, by a Compsognathus, a compi, was originally written for the first book, but ended up ended up opening the Lost World. Elsewhere, scenes like the, the like the Pteranodon aviary and the river scene from Crichton's The Lost World eventually made their way into Jurassic Park 3. Now, here's something most people don't know. That little girl who was attacked by the Compsognathus or the Compi was Camilla Bell, the famous actress. That was her when she was a kid. So most people don't know that. And that's something I kind of found out and found out a while ago and something that just popped up in the back of my head. It's something that I knew. There's... Oh, lost my place again. There it is. There were, however, casualties along the way. Meaning that the major book character... Dr. Richard Levine doesn't appear in the movie at all. Described as the best paleontologist of his generation, Levine was basically a souped-up Alan Grant, with a cast already bulging at the seams with Richard Attenborough, Jeff Goldblum, Vince Vaughn, and Julianne Moore. Spielberg decided this was, of course, The Lost World. Spielberg decided that there wasn't enough room for the egos of Ian Malcolm and Dr. Levine. Instead, many of Levine's parts were diluted down and farmed out to Attenborough and Moore's characters. Moore's Sarah Harding slowly morphed into Richard Levine, and the rest, they say, theoretically, is history. But what do you say when you mix Howard Hughes with Walt Disney. Well, you get John Hammond. Brilliantly portrayed by Richard Attenborough in the first two movies, 1993's Jurassic Park actually inspired the Great Escape star to come out of semi-retirement. In huge part of the first movie, Attenborough returned in a minor capacity for The Lost World and was, f and was fired as InGen CEO to be replaced by Peter Ludlow. Ludlow took a more villainous turn than his uncle when it came to running a dinosaur theme park and met his maker. However, with Hammond still alive, he was due to return for another outing. Sitting out the maligned Jurassic Park 3, Attenborough has, had expressed an interest in Jurassic Park 4, but, sadly, passed away before Jurassic World finished filming. Thankfully, Colin Trevorrow saw his legacy live on through the movie. Speaking to Radio Times, 
Trevorrow explained how Anne Burroughs' iconic character was always going to play a part. In the context of the movie, he hadn't passed yet. When we shot the film, he always planned. We always we always planned for him to have a presence in it. However, eagle-eye viewers will have noticed the Hammond Creation Lab in Jurassic World, and there's a golden statue of John Hammond himself standing outside. Just as Disney had his own statue outside his park, Hammond was remembered as the man who made the dreams become reality. But, is Ellen Grant hiding on the island? Living with the dinos? Sam Neill was always set to return as the grumpy paleontologist for Jurassic Park 3. The third chapter somehow lured Dr. Grant back to the island with some flimsy story about giving a guided tour from the air. But the original plan for Jurassic Park 3 was to have Alan more in touch with the dinos and becoming his very own Jane Goodall. Director Joe Johnston told Movieline that Steven Spielberg's brief attachment to the project came with his own idea. It was a pretty simple idea, and, the very, li- and very little of it is left. It was Steven's idea to have Sam Neill's character discovered living on the island. He'd snuck in after not being allowed, to, not being allowed in to research the dinosaurs, and he was living in a tree like in a tree like Robinson Crusoe. But I could imagine this guy wanting to get back on any island that had dinosaurs in it, even especially after the first movie. Considering Neil did such a good job of playing a crotchety loner in Taika Watiti's hunt for wilder people, it is relatively easy to imagine Grant living out his twilight years on the Isla Islands. As for Alan coming back, Neil shattered everyone's dream of a cameo in the future of the franchise. Saying that Dr. Grant would do anything in his path to avoid these carnivorous critters, he told Shortlist that the other option is that Alan has already passed on. Talk about cheerful. Now, anyone who has seen the Jurassic World Dominion trailer knows that Alan has not passed on. But that's just kind of it's kind of interesting to think about. And but here's and here's an interesting thought, and this actually and here's a little bit of story behind it. Did Sam Neill and Laura Dern survive a hurricane during filming? Some might not have heard of Hurricane Iniki, but as the most powerful storm to hit the to hit Hawaii in recorded history the crew of Jurassic Park certainly remember it. In 2009, in a 2009 episode of Storm Stories, it is recalled how on September 11, 1992, Spielberg looked at the news and, f- and was forewarned that Iniki was raining down on Hawaii, with the final day of Jurassic Park filming taking place on Kauai. It was one of the islands that was most affected by Iniki. Speaking to USA Today, 
Sam Neill remembered that Iniki was so serious, he stood on a beach with Dern and questioned whether they might lose their lives. Ooh. Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll freak you out. I totally get that. Interesting, the path of destruction by Iniki led to Sam Jackson's Ray Arnold having a significant portion of his part cut. Audiences were left scratching their heads on how Ray went from chain-smoking tech guy to severed arm in a powered shed. And anyone who knows anything what I've said about the Raptors knows where the severed arm came from. And anyone who's ever seen Jurassic Park and knows anything about that knows where that severed arm came from. Kind of just lost my I lost my place again. That happens a lot. Scenes of Ray making his way to the shed and his untimely demise were due to the were due to be filmed until it were due to be filmed until Iniki destroyed that part of the set. When the hurricane passed, the crew were given I Survived Hurricane Iniki t shirts as a memento of the incident. The hurricane was even mentioned on the, in, the, in the comics when the character Derek wore an Iniki t-shirt in Return to Jurassic Park 5 and 6. Once, once something, a theory. The Dennis Nedry hologram, Wayne Knight, Dennis Nedry. The Dennis Nedry hologram in Jurassic World. Ah, ah, ah. You didn't say the magic word. Forever topping the list of Jurassic Park characters everyone loves to hate. Wayne Knight was brilliant as Dennis Nedry in Jurassic Park. As the movie's human villain, Nedry was a slimy computer programmer who was a little too smart for his own good. Stealing embryos to sell to the highest bidder, Nedry's hacking disabled most of the park's security systems and sent the movie on its path to becoming a bloodbath, where staff and visitors had to fight to stay alive. Given one of the most, most iconic ends in the series, Nedry came afoul of his own scheming, and was famously, famously devoured by an acid-spinning Dilophosaurus. One poor victim can be seen wearing a Nedry-inspired coat and meeting a doomed fate in Fallen Kingdom. But Dennis also got a nod in Jurassic World. Dilophosaurus rightly seemed too dangerous to keep around a family-friendly petting zoo in Jurassic World. And the species wasn't listed as one of, I one of Isla Nublar's attractions. That being said, it can be seen in the movie's runtime. As the remaining survivors headed out of the visitor center, following Hoskins' demise with the raptors, Gray used a hologram of the, of the Dilophosaurus to confuse Delta. Instead of filming new footage, Colin Trevorrow recycled Jurassic Park's moment when the dinosaur rattled its frills and took down Nedry. Rip. R.I.P. Dennis. Never forget you, Nedry. Never forget you. One of a really, really interesting scene that kind of makes people shake a little bit, where Lex collects dino bones in real life. 
those Jurassic Park kids managed to escape that the curse that has befallen so many child actors. Ariana Richards used the first movie as one of her last roles before quietly bowing out of acting. Already famous for Tremors, Spaced Invaders, and Timescape, Jurassic Park was her big break and earned Richards a slew of Young Artist Awards. She briefly reprised her role as Lex Murphy for The Lost World, but hasn't been seen near an Isla, Isla Island since. Richards' interests lie elsewhere these days, with her most recent acting credit being 2013's Battle Dogs. Now a skilled painter with a degree in art, Ariana Richards was also once a budding paleontologist. Well, that I didn't know. That's really interesting. Stan Winston's animatronics and ILM's VFX work on the dinosaurs made Jurassic Park light years ahead of its time when it came to visuals. However, Spielberg also wanted a sense of historical realism. Famous paleontologist Jack Horner consulted one, consulted on one of the Jurassic movies, and Richards apparently took a shine to him. Speaking to Den of Geek, Richards revealed how she went on a dig with Horner after filming Wrapped and now has a Velociraptor bone at home. I remember walking around the dry hills of Montana with him, she says. And at one point he said we were walking on, a crete on Cretaceous soil. And he ended up walking down and pointing out a raptor forearm that was actually sitting on the surface of the ground. And he gave it to me. So, I have a raptor forearm in my collection. That is incredibly cool. That is like... That is beyond cool. I can't tell you how, how giddy and bouncy I'd be dancing around like a kid in a school in a in a candy store. If I had a raptor forearm or even just a raptor claw, I would be like so happy. And I've always now this this I've always wondered how they filmed the Lost Lost World's trailer scene when Ian and Sarah are hanging from the from the cliffside. And the trailer falls around them. That's just... It's really, really interesting. Like the differences between Alien and Aliens. Jurassic Park and The Lost World were two completely different beasts. While Jurassic Park was a sunny vacation that went horribly bad, The Lost World was much, much grittier. The engine grunts were picked off one by one as the hardened team of experts waded through mud and still realized, still realized they weren't prepared for the razor-toothed menaces coming their way. Live it, sorry, live it, live it, love it, or loathe it, everyone remembered the lost world for one scene in particular. The trailer! Not the trailer for the movie, like I just said, the trailer for the scene over the cliff. It was one of the few moments from Crichton's book that Spielberg decided to keep. And, thank the Lord, he did. Right in the middle of the movie, the heart-pounding trailer that scene that trapped Ian, Sarah, and Nick was just what the Lost World needed. However, instead of, instead of a jolly holiday in Costa Rica to capture Isla Sorna's rocky cliff face, 
Jurassic Outpost reports that the movie's most daring stunt was filmed using a multi-story car park, multi-story car park at Universal Studios. As the stars and stunt actors clung on for dear life, they were actually teetering over the edge of a concrete structure in Orlando. However, with the mega trailer that the crew used weighing in at, a pro- at an impressive 12 tons, the car park and some blue screen is a much safer way of filming the moment. Well, duh. Of course it's a much safer way of filming the moment. And there are a lot of really, really cool facts. Really cool things that I bet you didn't know about Jurassic World and and about just Jurassic Park and just a lot of things that are just really, really awesome. It's just really cool and really interesting to find out and really interesting to try and dig into. This is really awesome. But I wanted just remember I wanted to thank you all for hanging around with me so f- as long as we all have. Thank you for sticking around. Stick around for a little bit more in the end here. And also remember, also remember, if you're in Jurassic Park on Isla Nublar, Nublar or Swarna, remember, if you ever come across a raptor. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out. Want to check out the best travel vlogger and videos anywhere? Go to Atlantic City, Disney, Six Flags, all along the Atlantic City boardwalk, and go to Vegas. Check out the New York channel, N-U-Y-A-W-K, on YouTube. You will be thoroughly impressed and thoroughly entertained. You will love every second of what you're seeing. Go to YouTube and check out N-U-Y-A-W-K. You'll love what you're seeing. You'll enjoy every second of it. Want to check out the environment, the climate, the planet, and everything we can do to have an impact on it? Check out City Climate Corner on all the podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on everything. You won't be disappointed. You'll enjoy and love what you're listening to. Mm-hmm.